Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 48. Today, we're going to be doing our first in a back-to-back interview series with a couple of our buddies from the Modern Maker podcast. We're starting off with Mike Montgomery from Modern Builds, and Mike shares with us how he found his niche in YouTube space and then doubled down in repeated success by clustering projects and paying attention to the current and upcoming trends. At only 22 years old, Mike has built a subscriber base to almost 600,000 subs with over 26.7 million views at the time of this recording. He has some insane passion and energy, and we are super stoked to have him on the show. Absolutely, man. But before we jump into the interview, we do want to thank some of our new patrons that joined the MFP tribe over there at patreon.com forward slash made for profit. We got Michael Kennedy, Stephen Ockmuty, and Caleb Noakes. Thank you so much, guys, for joining. And if you'd like to join, you can head over there as well and get access to the after show and some other cool rewards. But without further ado, let's check out our episode and interview with Mike Montgomery. All right, we are here with a buddy of ours and one of the trio from Modern Maker Podcast. That's right. Mike Montgomery. What's up, Mike? How's it Welcome going, guys? I'm profit. really excited to be here. How are y'all doing? Yeah, we're doing awesome, dude. Yeah, dude. It's great. Crushing summer. We see you're doing a lot of uh, a, a lot of modern builds work and modern making work. You guys are just firing on all cylinders out there right now. I think you're in Joshua Tree, right? That's right. We've got a home base. Me and Ben Ueda rented a house out in Joshua Tree, California to knock out a couple of big projects. One that I'm working on is converting a school bus, a former high school activity bus, into a tiny house. And simultaneously, Ben will be converting a few shipping containers into a tiny house. And so we both moved out here to work on some big projects. And we got this rental house as kind of a home base. And when we moved in, we realized there was no furniture in it. And so while we were waiting (laughs) on permitting and the kind of delays that come with construction, we've been able to hunker down and just build a bunch of furniture. It's been great because Chris Salamone, the, the other third of our podcast, is all is only about an hour down the street as well. So we've been able to link up and get one a lot of podcast stuff done. We're just wrapping up the Rockler Plywood Challenge, which is the second kind of contest yeah. that we've hosted, um, which has been a cool audience builder and a ton of fun. Really cool uh, to kind of just see the community all kind of gather around some kind of interesting kind of I guess material constraint. I guess is what it would be more than any kind of contest or challenge, and just kind of design some of the coolest stuff that. I've seen in a minute with, when it comes to DIY stuff. So lots of projects, lots of content, and uh, a whole lot of fun. Yeah, man. I've been loving watching y'all's, y'all's stories and, uh, of course, the Garys, you know, the, <laughs> the, the chipmunks, and you've kind of befriending the whole nature out there, and, and, and Jessie is, is doing her thing uh as the the gary whisper the gary whisper yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's been awesome just kind of watching that unfold and uh and i don't think i actually john i haven't even talked to you about this yet but 
uh, I think we're like, we're going to try to get out there, man. That's what yeah, I'm, I'm definitely trying to get out there. And I haven't, I haven't uh, talked to John about it yet, but uh, I think that if we could get another meetup because John and I need a rematch uh, of the beer pong. <laughs> so if, if for no reason other than that, I think John and I are coming out to Joshua Tree to just crush you in like I don't know, <laughs> red, redneck golf, John, or cornhole. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Cornhole, Mike, you might be in the, you're in the prime age group for beer pong, but cornhole, right. dude, I've, I can, I've got your number, dude. I, I don't you doubt your skills. Right here on the show. I don't doubt your skills, but I'm here to say I am I'm competitive and I am now going to be practicing cornhole. I'm going to build oh, yeah, some, should, I'm gonna build some boards them. and I'm going to be in the backyard getting prepped go, and ready for it. Go ahead, dude. It won't help. I'm telling you. You know, well, ben, that, ben and I have been joking around about doing some outdoor kind of lawn games. So like lawn darts, uh, obviously cornhole is a good one, maybe a horseshoe pit and stuff like that. I think it would be some great content. And now that I think about it, it could also be a great... Uh, crash course on like who can who's the who's the best podcast at random games <laughs> yes. we could just have a, a whole tournament i like it ironically i'm heading down to uh i'm heading down to nashville next week um when this show drops actually i'll be with brad and um i've made a bunch of cornhole boards in the past it's actually kind of how i started my business this will be actually a good segue into how you got started too but uh I got started making cornhole boards and selling those. And I'm going to show Brad uh, a couple ways on how I did it. And I think we might do some content around it. So that could work out well. Uh, Cause I, yeah. I was talking to Ben too. And I think uh, he's looking for a little bit of welding help come late this summer on, on his project. And, uh, and I was, we were trying to logistically see if I can make it out there. Um, show you guys a few things with that. So, so this Absolutely. could be, this could yeah. be quite a little uh, build up here, right? <laughs> like a mini, a mini cosm for some some awesome competition coming late summer. So yeah, the door is always open. You guys definitely need to come out. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, we'll introduce you to the Garys as well, the the little <laughs> squirrels that live in the backyard that we have befriended. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, yeah. So so uh, as you guys can already tell, Mike is a, a ball of energy and has. The gift of gab. So before we get too side, we could just sit here and just talk and just make this a modern maker podcast. But we want to, we want to get some. Uh, not that you guys. I, Whoa, I just love listening to y'all's episodes. To tell me that we don't. Well, we don't add value. I would, no, no, not at all. I was, I was kidding. binge listening. I was binge listening because we're actually doing an interview with Chris immediately yeah. after this. Chris Salamone. Um, and we've already had Ben on the show, obviously. But uh, I, I was kind of binge listening, and it's funny. Like you know, you guys just make such a great trio, and uh, like in the few episodes you're like uh we're like 45 minutes in and we're like still talking about like what's on the bench and so it's just like this this great kind of conversation but it, it's it's about the community it's about adding all that stuff so it's it's great to hear and it's great to see that but what we do here obviously is talk about business and so what we want to do why don't you just go ahead so you've got your channel modern builds um why and and you're super young which is amazing how old are you now mike i'm 22 22 that is Awesome, dude. That is so Thanks. awesome. John just turned 30. Yep. That's so right. We've got, we've got, yeah, three decades represented here. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm about to turn 41 in July. So uh, tell us, give us like the, you know, the quick overview. Like, how yeah. did you get started? I mean, obviously, so you're not a, a lot of people that we have on the show are like, you know, hey, I, I was in this business or that business and then this happened. But being so young, you obviously uh, have less of that background as far as work experience. So what hit us with the story, man, hit us with the modern build story and tell us how it all got started and how you ended up doing this. Totally. Yeah. So growing up, um, I was always around tools. My grandpa was a kind of home builder contractor. 
Um, my dad owned a couple businesses as I was growing up as well. So I was kind of surrounded by both aspects of what I'm doing now, the building kind of and the business. Um, and whenever I was t- around 12 years old, maybe closer to 10, uh, I was young enough that I wasn't a ton of help in the process, um, but I kind of s- saw it happening and I was as involved as I could have been. Um, my parents actually built the house that I grew up in kind of like from scratch with my grandpa. And so I was able to kind of be familiar with tools, be around tools uh, at a young age. And then whenever I did get the inclination to build things um, for myself and for gifts whenever I was young, there was also kind of a shop full of, I mean, they were construction tools, but they were still, you know, chop saws, circular saws, everything you need um, to kind of build the things that I wanted to build from skateboard ramps to planters and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I got into music whenever I was around 13 years old. I started playing drums started getting interested in the the more production side of music, so the recording and the engineering of it. And I was pretty sure that I wanted to be a, kind of a, a record producer from the time I was like 13, 14 years old. And so after I graduated high school, I went to a local music school called the Academy of Contemporary Music um, for music production. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, as, a, as a side hustle while, while I was there, I was building a lot of guitar pedal boards, a lot of speaker cabinets, um, amp enclosures, and things like that, uh, just as a way to make some money on the side and kind of meet new people as well. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you're in a place full of musicians and music producers, it's kind of cool being the guy that can build music equipment. That's something that, you know, there's an incredible amount of overlap in skill when you're in a place like that. And so having something that can set you apart just a little bit is really neat. It is really neat. And so I did that for a while. And after about a year, year and a half, I realized that I, I really love music and it's a ton of fun and it, and it remains a hobby, but it's not something that I wanted to do for the next, you know, 40 years until I retired. Um, musicians, as you could imagine, have a certain level of ego. I think that's kind of implied. You need that to think, you know, your music is good enough that you can do it professionally. Um, so that's great. But from my perspective, it was kind of tough working with people playing music uh, all the time, because as a producer, you're more in a, a, you're you're playing more of a suggestive role. So you're mm-hmm. recording the music. You're saying, you know, you're throwing in your little tidbits saying, oh, I think it would be great if, you know, the tempo was a little slower. If instead of going, you know, back to the chorus, you threw in this bridge or something along those lines. But ultimately, your your decisions are or really they're not even decisions. You're just making suggestions. You're never making the call really at the end of the day when it comes to the music, you know, when it comes to the, the actual production of it, of course you're, you're taking a little bit of liberties with it, but mostly you're not really in control. And I didn't really love that. Uh, especially when the people in control, the musicians, I didn't always, you know, like that much. And there was always a certain, like I said, there was always an ego and I didn't like working with egos. So um, around the same time, this is when I was building more and more, um, and this was also when I was finding the entire YouTube building community. Um, I think the first channel I saw was Steve Ramsey, and that kind of launched me into a whole spiral of other creators like Bob Claggett, Dave Picciuto. This is when he was still the drunken woodworker and doing the weekly yes. woodworking wrap-up um, and review, quite a title. And so I was, I was watching that, finding new people, you know, constantly and just soaking in a ton of content. And this was around the same time that Bob also released his I'm going full time video, which was kind of an eye opener for me is, you know, I saw him, Ben and other people doing it full time. 
And from my perspective, I didn't know what I wanted to do per se. Um, I'd always been interested in YouTube, kind of just growing up around it. And I had been posting on YouTube since I was like 12, but mostly with music related things. And so I just kind of put two and two together saying like, I know how to make videos. It was something I was doing while I was in school too. Um, I'm seeing full grown adults, you know, making a living doing this. Uh, you know, people like Ben and people like Bob, they wouldn't be doing it full time unless they were making enough money to do it. And so I figured if they can do it, I can do it. And so uh, I started building more and more furniture. Once again, this was still while I was in school. I was kind of, you know, going to school full time and doing this, getting a, uh, I decided I would get my associate's degree and then kind of drop out for a year. And in that time span of a year, I told myself that if I can make this, you know, viable if i can make it if i can prove that this makes money i don't have to make enough money per se to to be quote unquote full time but if if it shows the potential that i could be in the next year or so after that then i'll keep doing it and so i just hunkered down gave up a lot of aspects of my social life and uh produced a build video every week uh and and what was that 2016 <sighs> mid 2016 or early was, 2017 i think it was early mid 2015 oh okay, if i had okay, to yeah, guess yeah. i could i could be wrong it's it's been a little while but i think i'm coming right up on three years now and okay. so yeah i would i built a piece of furniture basically every week which was definitely more than i expected because i had seen people like bob produce weekly content but he does an incredible job of stacking bigger and smaller projects. So getting that big uh, kind of showstopper project, but then also coming in the next week with, you know, something that maybe takes a day or two days to build. Um, but I was definitely convinced that, you know, furniture was the move. And so I just doubled down and built, you know, a bed or a dining table or something like that every week. And so um, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot doing it. And now three years later, I have a pretty healthy channel and a really good audience. So I'm happy to be here. And I'm on the Made for Profit podcast. So, <laughs> so you I'm have doing arrived. something right, you, I hope. <laughs> yeah, you, you finally arrived, Mike. Yeah. Wow. Hopefully, okay. hopefully that made sense. That was pretty long-winded. No, that, I mean, I think it's, well, you know, I mean, like you can tell your whole life story in, you know, 10 or 15 minutes because you're 22. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but don't uh, worry, Mike, mine takes 23 minutes. So like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> got it, got it. But no, I love the the one. I mean, I like the whole thing. Obviously, it, it, your your hustle is immense, man. It's amazing. It's awesome. But uh, the part that I really like about that as well is is of your goal is like you set kind of that mini goal of di- getting your associate's degree. So it's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to drop out and just go like hog wild in YouTube and just throw my arms up in there and run for it. Right. Uh, but you're like, okay, I've got this associate's degree, and if it doesn't work, then I can come back build on that, you know, whatever, get your bachelor's or, or wherever that might be in the production totally. environment. But uh, that you had that piece that's like, okay, you lock that in. Now let's go take a run at this because yeah, you, you know, your risk level is so low at that point. So were, were you, um, were you living at home at that point or did you have an apartment or what did that look like? I was, yeah. So I was really in a really perfect place to be able to kind of do this. Um, I was living at home. School was literally like a 20, 25 minute drive. And so um, it actually worked out really nice in that my car got totaled from hail damage. And so it was still a perfectly good running car. But whenever I did the insurance claim, they're like, we're going to have to replace every panel of this car. So you can either take this money and buy a new car or take this money and we'll basically like buy you out of the whole like 
you know, claim. Right. And so that gave me enough money to where I was like, okay, I have X number of dollars. I can build, you know, this many projects and just generally live off of this amount of money for, um, for a year or so. And so whenever that happened, I quit my job, uh, so that I could kind of just do school and YouTube rather than school job and YouTube. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it's super impressive the amount of perspective that you have at like such a young age. Cause I know a lot of us when we were, you know, <laughs> in our early 20s, everything was happening and you were just kind of running and gunning with whatever was going on. I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you what I did at 22. It's probably <laughs> one, it's probably unspeakable for this podcast, but two, um, they're like, I literally just, I don't think I had anywhere close to that much vision in what was happening. Um, you know, everything I was doing was so regimented and given to me that I never had to think for myself. I was, I was basically like a, like a dog. Um, but it, but, <laughs> but you that, had the work ethic though. Yeah. In that I find it extremely impressive that you were able to put all this stuff together. Um, you know, finding that, uh, I guess that regimen in your life, how important has that become as your business has grown? Because I know getting started, um, early on with like a set plan, um, and we'll get into your, your brand a little bit. Cause I, I know you've stuck to your guns on your brand too, um, mm-hmm. over the course of time, but like just getting into a routine and realizing how important it is to, um, to set yourself up with, you know, some specific goals maybe, or stuff yeah. like that. Why don't you touch on that a little bit? Um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a pretty simple idea that I try and keep as a thread throughout what I do is one setting goals is really important because if you don't have a goal, then you don't have anything to gauge success or failure on. Um, and you know, not necessarily that failure is even bad, but just knowing that you're doing as good as you want to, or not as good lets you know, I need to be working harder or I need to keep doing the same pace or, you know, I have room to maybe relax a little bit and try new things as well. So, um, I think that's important is just one set a very clear and attainable goal. So whenever I, you know, dropped out of school and was after doing YouTube for a few months, I had somewhere around 10,000 subscribers. I had enough of an audience to say, like, the ball is rolling. Um, And so I basically told myself, like I said, I had that clear one-year goal um, that if, for one, if it doesn't work out, I still have a fallback of going back to school. It just sucks that, you know, I would have failed and I would have been a year behind. But ultimately, the, like, monetary and time risk was relatively low. Um, So having that clear end goal was important because I was also really kind of stretching my own resources and my own time. Uh, Like I said, doing a video a week isn't really easy, um, especially when they're furniture projects. And I knew that going into it, but I was also okay with the sacrifices that I would be making um, because I knew that those sacrifices would only be for a year. Um, I was okay not going out not kind of partying as much um, so long as it was all towards this specific goal and this specific goal had an, basically I guess what it would be is like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, you can keep grinding and grinding and grinding as long as you know that like at this point I'm going to have a moment of reflection and I'm going to decide either, you know, to change what I'm doing or keep what I'm doing. Um, And what I found after that year was that, (laughs) <laughs> a video every week is, was a little ambitious and I'm glad I did it because I attribute a lot of that to being successful um, in that first year, but it just really wasn't sustainable for the type of content I wanted to make. And so that was when I was able to kind of slow down the scale of the content in terms of pace, but also kind of try and focus more 
on larger projects and more cohesive projects that all kind of work together to to kind of feed off of each other and build the channel up uh, kind of naturally. So um, whenever I was building most of my projects in the first year, I was kind of circling around different ideas that I thought could be successful. I did some concrete stuff. I did some more rustic stuff. I did some reclaimed. Um, but what I found is that um, searching through Google Trends, I found that mid-century, uh, mid-century modern furniture was really kind of on the cusp and kind of really, I would say right now it's kind of at mass, critical mass. It's kind of at its tipping point of everybody yeah. is aware of it. And now every major manufacturer, when it comes to furniture, Ashley and all those people, they're building classic mid-century pieces, which tells me, you know, it is right now at its peak and it will never be as popular. But at that time, uh, you couldn't buy mid-century furniture in the store, but it was all over Pinterest and not a single YouTube video on how to build it. And so I saw that link of one, just seeing it on Google Trends that there was a high search volume for it that there was a lot of content on other platforms, but none on the platform that I was using. So I built, you know, mid-century coffee table, mid-century bed, mid-century console table, mid-century everything under the sun, so that as soon as somebody wanted to find mid-century furniture, I was the guy. Uh, Not only could they find their coffee table, they could find every other piece for their home that they wanted. So that got people kind of into a related video kind of rabbit hole of my content and I think that's a lot of what was able to, one, just get my, get my videos to where they had enough views to be at the top of uh, search results. And then two, just give a higher chance of conversion if people could see that there were multiple videos in the same genre and that they could kind of trust my sense of design and what I would be building. Yeah, I think uh, having this, the foresight to see the gap in the space or, or essentially... Um, researching the market before building your brand into it, and then also dipping your toes in water was brilliant. Yeah. But I, what I really love there is um, is something we talked about with Bob Claggett when he was on the show was putting that time cap on uh, whatever you're doing or on any goal specifically. Um, I think Bob said nine months um, yeah, was, his, right. was his cap on um, the time he was going to go uh, all in before he made drastic changes. And I think yeah, he was that, doing software, correct? He was doing a, yeah. a lot of stuff. He was in software. <laughs> but oh honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh for work, but I'm in his channel. Yeah, I mean, and uh with that, you have the uh the cap that he put on himself and, and you doing something similar where you put a set time on reflecting on what's going on. And like you said, you touched on um some rustic builds, some more industrial style, some concrete stuff, and then really found your voice or your brand with um the mid-century modern furniture, and then we're able to hammer it home. What I think happens to a lot of us is uh, we get in the zone on doing what we're doing and just tend to keep on that path because it's easy instead of taking a moment to look back and go, you know, statistically my highest performing content is this or my highest selling products are these. Um, that's difficult. I mean, I know someone who sell who like myself who sells furniture, it is hard to turn money down from other things that work. And look at yourself and go, no, I have to get, you know, narrow and deep. I can't be, you know, just soft, uh, excuse me, just wide and all over the place. Um, and, and I think it's awesome that you, you know, were able to assimilate to a, a previous guest and Bob and doing something with that time cap. I think it works um, for all businesses. You know, I'm not a huge goal guy, but uh, that is something I, I put on myself as well with a three year mark on like metrics and the amount of revenue and, and profits that I were making. Um, too, and we haven't really talked about that, but 
Um, yeah, that's that's some awesome stuff there. So, uh, yeah, you know, you, you, after you get into a groove on your channel um, and, and start hitting home with the <clears throat> with the styling that you found, um, you know, when do you feel when do you really feel like you made the that jump to going all in? I, and I know we had that a little bit of a conversation like this at WorkbenchCon. Mm-hmm. But, um, why don't you touch on that a little bit? Because I know you you kind of had like a like a click moment where you were like, you know, this is what I'm going for. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I was kind of circling. So, wow. That was a tough word. I was circling. Wow. I just said it twice in a row. I was circling, you know, around kind of a style that I could build around. And and once I found that it was mid-century, um, I, I kind of kept that that thread throughout. And once again, this was still while I was kind of building commissions for like my friends and my friends' friends, and then also producing content for it. And so this was right around the time where I had somebody ask me if they could build me, uh, build them a console table and a coffee table. And they wanted them both to match. And so I designed these two white and kind of walnut pieces, uh, walnut stained pieces. And I think this was sometime around my first 10 or 15 projects. And whenever I released those two videos, one that proved the idea of what is now, what I now know is called clustering. Um, which is the idea of, you know, just batching out content that all cycles and feeds it, e- each other. So, you know, if it's concrete stuff, you know, building five projects that maybe it's a concrete planter, a concrete fire pit, a concrete outdoor table, and a concrete uh, tiki torch. Like all these things, they have multiple threads that can tie them all together. You know, they're all concrete, they're all DIY, and they're all outdoor projects. So anybody searching any of those three would be happy landing on any of those five videos. And once they land on one, hopefully they can keep going, going and going right. and going. Um, and so I built these two mid-century pieces and I had already done one or two before that. And so I had put those videos out. They did surprisingly well kind of in their first couple weeks of, of, of viewing or first couple weeks of being live. And I also kind of saw that they were feeding the couple other mid-century projects that I had. Um, so that was one of the early moments, um, you know, before I had hit 100,000 subscribers of this is working. This is kind of what I need to double down on. Um, but right around this, uh, right around maybe six, eight months later, I had a couple pieces that got picked up by outside publications. And then right around the same time or right around six months later, I had put out a couple of other videos, one being a live edge coffee table, which once again, I was just a little early, early, like getting to that project before it had hit uh, kind of mass appeal. And so I was kind of one of the first people to do live edge furniture on my channel, which got me established in the search results so that in a year or so, when that was a super high volume search, I had already established myself as one of the higher results and was able to get quite a few, uh, quite a few new viewers from that. But they, but mainly what happened is those videos got shared by popular mechanics or popular yeah, yeah. something or another. Yeah, popular um, mechanics. Exactly, and I I saw a huge bump from that. I think over the course of a week, I had gotten twenty five thousand new subscribers. Um, which got me, if it didn't get me past the hundred thousand subscribers, it got me really close. And it got me to where the hundred thousand mark was tangible. It wasn't something that I was like, man, you know, in a few months I'll get there or in six months I can get there and then I can be legit or whatever it was. It was just, I saw in a moment in just a span of a week, my channel grow 25%. And it showed me that it's not necessarily about putting out 
a hundred videos or it's not necessarily about putting out 52 of the videos this year and all of those videos getting a hundred thousand views. It's about putting out those 52 videos and a couple of them will get a million views. Same thing with your, uh, your river table, John mm-hmm. is, I don't know about your analytics, you know, per se, but I can only speak on mine is that, you know, 75% of my audience growth in the past year kind of came from about four videos. And I think yeah. that's a kind of a common thread between a lot of creators is yeah. it's not about getting, well, it is about getting, you know, consistent traffic across all of your content. But what I, what I try to explain to people with consistency is it's, it's about the more opportunities you have to have that video that hits the better. So if you have 20 amazing ideas, but you have to fill up 52 weeks those 20 ideas are going to go by quick and then you're going to start diving and you're going to start really figuring out one, what worked on your channel so you can try and replicate that success and two, what other possible ideas you can have because once you, once you throw away all the easy ones, you know, once you throw away a simple mid-century dining table or a simple mid-century coffee table, you're going to have to think like, okay, well, what's next? Okay, I never thought I would build a bed. That's a huge project, but I'm going to go for it. And then it ended up that that bed you know, is one that got like 1.2 million views uh, in like its first year of being up. And so it's not necessarily about just having every project hit, but it's about getting those ideas out of the way so that you can really dive into figuring out what works for your channel. And then once you figure out what does work for your channel, it's just doing a deep dive into that and finding opportunity. Yeah, I think it's kind of comparable to the 80-20 rule, right, Brad? You know, yeah, going from exactly. content business to like a real business. Uh, yeah. And I think that's super interesting is I know that um, it's it's I, I'm enjoying this conversation because uh, Ben was our first guest and it's been almost right. a year. Right. Since like since we got the show started and you guys have a lot of uh, the same mindset. So obviously you're like, you know, on the same team or something weird like that. Right. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but it, it's, beca- it's because it works. And I, and I think um, in any type of business, you you have to be able to evaluate what's working for you. Right. And then mm-hmm. try and repeat that um, to a degree. I mean, if you're if you're selling a lot of a certain product, you become efficient in that process to, to sell more of them. But you're also still working on other stuff. And I think that that's where a yeah. lot of people get caught up in any type of small business is that you get stuck on one thing, like something hit for you. For instance, my, my river table, you know, it'd be easy for me, not, not financially, but uh, <laughs> execution wise <laughs> to make more river tables and just hammer that home until uh, I'm blue in the face. Um, but <clears throat> I wouldn't really do justice to my brand if I just bought into one specific thing. Like it doesn't do justice to any brand. Like, yes, you might be selling cutting boards right now. They might be super hot for you. But are you trying to make bigger and better things that could down the line pop off because of the attention you brought to yourself for that cutting board, for instance? You know, like the same things that are crushing for you now probably weren't doing that six, you know, 12, 18 months ago as far as content goes. And I think it's interesting to look at the analytics between the two of them. Um, And it kind of goes back to the 80-20 rule, Uh, like like uh, that we had a previous episode on. I mean, what do you think, Brad? Yeah, Mike, what I like about it, and I did this, so I have this question for you, and, and I, I I kind of feel like you might know the answer, but I'm guessing you might not also. Ooh. Uh, how many beds have you made? Oh, he has a mansion. <laughs> you didn't know that? He has beds. Beds or <laughs> beds are headboards included? Yeah, uh, no, just beds. Just, just beds. straight up beds. Uh, four beds, uh, one video that's just a headboard. 
Okay. Okay. So that, that's less than like to me. I, I feel like it's like twelve. Right. Yeah. Well, I put out two. I put out two in the past two months, but that's okay, not a necessity. Yes. Um, when yeah. We well, that's in, true. You're in the new house, right? There yeah. with uh, no furniture. So, yeah. but I, but I like that. What I like about that, and I, I really liked uh, what you said about repeating success, mm-hmm. and and that's you know finding what wins and doubling down on it, and that's what I think you've done a, a fantastic job at, and both the niche of the design as well as the uh you know the actual projects and that so seeing what hits uh and looking at how you can do that so you know like john said so there's the niche stuff too like uh i remember you when you did the the egg shape table like that was really cool and i think that one did pretty well but it's it's like not like you're going to go make another egg shaped table right like there's these creative designs that are kind of one offs that you hope will pop like like John's river table. I mean, that's yeah. just not something you're going to produce a lot of. But a bed is such an essential and there are so many different ways. So it's it's a bed, but there's so many different styles and all the beds that you've made are different. Right. So whether it's a platform or or really simple that as you do that, you know, with a headboard, without headboard integrated. And so when I when I see what you've done there, I really like that. And I think that's a great takeaway for the audience is, uh, you know, repeating success and doubling down on what works, but iterating. Right. And making it and clustering. Like you said, that's another thing that, that Ben definitely talked about. And uh, and John and I have been really trying to prescribe to is is that clustering, because then if they watch one of your beds and they're like, oh, that was pretty cool. Uh, but it, when somebody's thinking about making a bed, they're, you know, the initial stage that anybody goes through is they're looking for ideas. Right. And, you know, whether they're on Pinterest or they're on YouTube, they're trying to digest a lot. And so they go, oh, cool. Mike made this platform bed. That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at this one. This one's like a minimalist design. And how do you do that headboard? And so, like, you know, I think there's a lot in there. And I think you have taken that and exploited that uh, very well. Same idea with, you know, coffee tables and that those are uh, and, and then the other part that I really like as the analytics guy. Uh, is I hear you talking a lot about analytics. Is that, you know, how did you get into, because uh, you've, you've talked a lot about, hey, what works? And you've gone in and looked at it. Um, did you just use like the normal tools? Like, how did you get into that? Just dive into YouTube analytics and just kind of poke around? Or did you, you know, go look at some websites on how to digest it? Or what did that look like for you? Um, so it, surprisingly, I'm not crazy huge on at- analytic analytics when it comes to uh, the the deep dive. I don't really go into like what videos are getting shared more or what videos <clears throat> have a higher like comment threshold per per view. But mainly, what I care about one is views are important. That's great. Um, I try and look at watch time, so I try and figure out one what videos are people watching all the way through, or you know m- most of the way through, uh, and then try and just to find that thread because one I think. I mean, you guys have talked about YouTube uh, valuing watch time way more than it does just clicks or just comments or engagement. Um, the longer you can keep people you know, on your videos and on the platform, the more YouTube is going to promote them. Um, and so whenever I kind of learned about that, that was what I was really focusing on was whenever I had a video that if a video hit, I wanted to figure out were people watching the video and then clicking away or were people watching it through or when was that drop off? Um, because it's important, I think, uh, to one pair, if you have a great, if you have a great project, but people can't get all the way through the video, or if you have a great project and on the other hand, it's just too fast that people can't keep up with the information that you're given, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, so whenever I was starting my channel, I, I modeled a lot of it after Ben from Homemade Modern. Um, I didn't really know him at the time, but 
I saw that his one his his audience was growing relatively quick, and that he was putting out incredibly short videos. Um, his Lego end table concrete. Her, what would I call that? Like concrete end table with a Lego form. Um, stupid, stupid views, multiple millions of views, and it's only a minute and a half long. Um, right. And then I think his longest video at the time was about three and a half minutes. And so my whole goal early on was make as condensed of a project video as I possibly can. And then once I realized that I could bump it up a few minutes, I, I really tested the water with that a lot last year. And I found that somewhere right around the seven minute mark is kind of my threshold of you can be a minute or two under, you can be a minute over, but try not to be anything over eight minutes because once a video gets you know eight to 10 minutes long, I found that it gets a lot more drop off from the audience compared to any other videos. Um, even if the pro and, you know, even if the project I think is good and I think it should, you know, sustain a good, you know, audience retention. Um, I think the video just gets too long. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, over half of my views are on mobile. And so whenever I think about whenever I'm on YouTube on my phone, I'm either in a line, I'm cooking, um, I might be in the bathroom <laughs> or something like that, but I'm not doing things that take 15 minutes long. I'm doing things that are about five to 10 minutes. And so whenever I kind of came to that realization, I was like, okay, market to people the way you want to be marketed to and use yourself as best use, use case. And so I just looked at myself and I was like, okay, I got to keep the video shorter. I can't, I can't do a lot of the projects I'm doing in a five minute video. I wish I could. If all of my videos could be five minutes long, I would make them. Um, but I just found that I'm not able to include as much detail as I want. And so I, I kind of found, I guess I would say a formula for, you know, audience retention that worked. Um, the longer videos just didn't do it. The shorter videos were just a little too jam packed. And so once I found that, that was a, re a really good kind of analytic moment of, of finding what my audience was compelled to continue to watch. Um, and then outside of that, one thing I would really suggest, you know, to any, to any listeners or to any other kind of creators that are interested is just search Google Trends. Um, and you'll realize that you'll understand why I'm building five, I've built five beds. Um, if you search Google Trends and you compare DIY bed DIY sofa, DIY coffee table, and DIY um, end table. You know, on that spectrum, I think you kind of have four project levels. You have, you know, beds, which every single human has in their house, basically. You have sofas that everyone has, but is a little bit more intimidating to build. You have coffee tables that most everybody has, but is low on the intimidation scale. And so I think that's an easy way for a lot of people to get started building. Um, and then you kind of have end tables, which are, you know, everybody has an end table, that's, but that's usually pretty low on the list of, you know, to-dos when it comes to people's project ideas. And I think that, you know, Google Trends really reflects that, um, that if you can find the projects that people are wanting to build, especially for me, I'm trying to get people into my subscriber base in their first 20 projects. I want I want people that are maybe completely new to DIY or relatively new. Um, and I understand that people over time may graduate from my content onto more, you know, Four Eyes Woodworking or, uh, you know, Mark Spagnola or stuff like that. But I just wanted to find my audience 
And uh, man, how do I round this out? I wanted to find the projects that my audience was searching for. And so Google Trends was just the easiest way for me to do that. And I think it's it's a good way of finding, you know, are people searching for rustic items? Are people searching for mid-century, which is what I found at the time? Um, but it's that same thing now is that the 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 search results for mid-century furniture are kind of full. And so I'm kind of on the hunt for like what that next thing I can do that will be the cluster of projects that all feed and all kind of grow and and just cycle themselves around. But it's something that I'm still looking for, honestly. What I really, I hear, I hear pallets are coming back, Mike. (laughs) Are they? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You'd be the pallet, the pallet wood guy, but that, but the the Google trends is awesome, dude. I love like John and I use it. And it's also just for the audience. And it's, I think it's, you can just search. I mean, it's easy. It's like trends.google.com, I believe. I think so. Or google.trends.com. But um, but John and I will use that as well a lot. And it, what it's also great for is are people searching for DIY sofa or DIY couch exactly or DIY bench? And there's a lot of like just having that just that name and that title mm-hmm. can be and, and especially like end table because like you can call an end table like five different things. You know, it's like an end table, a bedside table, uh, you know, a, a console table. Like there's there's all kinds of different names that you can uh that you can use for them, side table, nightstand, nights. Exactly. So like using Google trends will give you that, you know, that vernacular, I guess, of what people are searching for. And, and even it, it's really interesting. I don't know if you do this or not, Mike, but uh, obviously with modern builds, but there's even a difference like, and it's this really in, interesting to me is if you search how to make a, a how to make a DIY bed, if you search how to make a bed, that, that, that obviously just is a whole nother thing because that's for like people folding their sheets. Right. But uh, <laughs> how to make an end table versus how to build an end table. And it's really weird. It switches back and forth depending on the project. And you would think that bigger projects would be build and smaller projects would be make, but it flip-flops. It's very odd. Right. Uh, so I think a lot there, of that... Of cool stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from uh, who is searching it, right? So... Um, maybe a bed. So what I found is like build build a bed is good, um, but DIY bed is a little bit better. But on the whole build and make spectrum, I think a lot of that is just looking at who is searching it. Um, so whenever I think of bed, I'm like, that's a substantial project, most likely not to make assumptions about demographics, but ultimately that is what we're doing. You know, we're a media company. We're making those assumptions is that I would assume that most people searching for how to build a bed, they're using build because it's a guy. And he's building stuff and he's doing stuff out there and he's like, he's building. And then maybe a coffee table or an end table or something that uh, that I think would be an easier entry point for people that are one, either uh, a female, which is cool. Uh, more chicks building things is better or someone that's relatively new to the space and they're not super con- or not super familiar with the vernacular of build versus make versus DIY. I think the people that are new, uh, a little bit further on the spectrum of new to the whole DIY scene, they're going to use terms like make. And so I try and think, um, you know, the coffee tables of the world and even the dining tables of the world, I think those are really, uh, really common first projects for people. And so people in their first projects, I think, are a little bit more likely to search for make rather than build. Um, And I think that might be why certain times build is better than make for keywords. Um, but yeah, it's just something to toy around with. And that's what's great about Google Trends is you don't necessarily have to just risk it by putting it in the title. You can literally see, oh, right. make is getting three times more search 
interest then build on this project or vice versa. So um, yeah, Google Trends, man, it's amazing. I love it. And and I think uh, what's brilliant about the whole conversation based around Google Trends is how you're actually tailoring your content to your audience and not to yourself. A lot of the feedback that I get from um, individuals who are newer to YouTube or starting YouTube, and Brad and I even have these with with each other, is um, creating content that the people want to see that are following you over creating things that you think are cool for Mm -hmm. yourself. Um, And I know a lot of beginner YouTubers and content creators specifically will create things that in their minds they b- believe are cool or, or you know, a little bit different or that work well. But to the audience, you know, they're not there's not really a need for them. Um, right. And, and that's what this tool, you know, I think really is. You could, for instance, you could build like the most elaborate engine, you know, you know, uh, guided, uh, you know, <laughs> lazy Susan and <laughs> and it could be really, really cool. But. If no one's searching for it and you and there's no one really that uh, would be entertained by it in something like YouTube, which we are um, crippled by search because we're quote unquote educational, um, you know, people are going to be searching for us for more than an entertainment basis. And with that, we have to feed what search is looking for. And um, and, you know, sometimes things go viral. Yes. But with that, a lot of beginners will begin building things that they think are sweet that makers would think are awesome but we're not just trying to facilitate the maker community while we're building we're trying to facilitate people that are trying to get into the maker community right and um and i think that a lot of young content creators miss on that point and they don't realize like you know i I made this amazing thing why isn't it doing well and it's like well I wouldn't even try to make that. And I've been doing this for years, you know, and and if you want people that are using search engines like YouTube to jump on to your type of content, you either one have to be simply educational. Like, you know, my channel struggles with this because I just do wild stuff and it's not very search engine optimized. But, you know, Brad's been seeing a lot of steam in getting his channel uh, to where he's honing in on uh, a lot more SEO type builds and people are falling into clusters or falling into all the shop projects, you know, like you said, falling into mid-century uh, bedroom builds and, and living room builds. My stuff, I've been still trying to find that. And um, and that's a great piece of advice for beginners, I believe, in your, you know, great uh, market test for that, seeing that if you produce things that people want to see more, they're going to see more of it compared right. to, you know, like, oh, let me put a paracord seat in an Adirondack chair. Like, yeah, it's cool, but like, it's not that, it's not great for search. And I mean, that I thought that video would do well. I actually kind of took inspiration from your stool video. And I right. was like, you know, oh, this this is cool. I built it for my mom. She loved it. So at the end of the day, it was actually a win for me. <laughs> that's, that's a win. Yeah, matters. that's but, a win. <laughs> yeah. But, you mom, know, like lucky's happy. Everybody's happy. So but you can easily see a correlation there with using something like Google Trends in that search term is very, very unlikely compared to DIY Adirondack or DIY mm. outdoor chair, um, which if I you know, would have thought of it beforehand, should have probably titled it a little different um, in there. But regardless, I think that using tools like that is is so, so important to anybody building any type of business. Um, and, you know, we touched on it in the branding uh, with trying to find your name and not getting married to certain things and getting stuck there because, you know, it was a hot search term at the time. And you know, there's give and take to both sides of it because um, you don't want to get stuck in a certain segment, too. Um, right by only doing things in a certain space because like you said you're going to run out of time for relevance <laughs> yeah. um, and then you know, that can yeah. be difficult to cope with why don't you touch a little bit on how modern builds has continued to adapt even mm. though you're seeing a peak in the modern design aesthetic right yeah is there, is there a guy out there called palette builds 
Do you need, you might need to go talk to him. I just bought a <laughs> I might be I was, might be stepping on his turf. <laughs> pal, well, let's say like pallet builds. You know, like you'll be the pallet builds guy in five years. The right. like modern builds. Yeah. <laughs> Who was that guy? Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think a lot of uh, the reason. So I haven't done a, a titled mid-century modern build in probably a year. Um, mm-hmm. It might have been even a little longer than that. Um, and that's because, like I said, I think right now mid-century furniture is at its critical mass. I don't think any, I don't think the audience for the people watching the content or the people buying the physical products will ever be higher than it is now. And so, for me to stick around doing mid-century stuff is, you know, being on a boat that is slowly sinking. You know, <laughs> right now the it's just taking on water. It's got like one bullet hole in it, and it's sinking really, really slowly. But eventually, I think that hole is going to get bigger and bigger, and it'll soon just, you know, drop out. I think that's what people saw with pallet furniture. I mean, not to bring it back to that, but whenever I would start, I think like five years ago, like the pallet furniture craze hit, and I built a bunch of pallet stuff before I started YouTube. Um, That was what I was building most of the pedal boards I was building in school. Um, But whenever I started... I don't think I have any pallet projects. I think one of my dog houses uses pallet boards kind of as as facer boards, like as a facade. But I never, I've never built anything from scratch out of pallets, and that's because whenever I started, I saw that I was like, okay, pallet projects are at their peak. The search results are already established, and I don't think I can get any headway in that space. Um, and like I'd mentioned earlier, mid century was where I kind of found that niche. But right around a year and a half ago, this was around the same time that a lot of other people started building mid-century furniture. Luckily, I kind of already had once I... So the way I look at YouTube, sorry to go on a tangent here, is YouTube is, you know, it's an algorithm based on maintaining audience. And so when there is a search result, be it mid-century furniture, reclaimed furniture, whatever it is, as soon as YouTube knows this video has a audience retention rate that we like, it has a thumbnail and a title that people click when we suggest it, it's fit the two criteria that they're interested in. It's unoffensive content that they know performs the way they want. So why would YouTube as an entity risk showing a potential new viewer a video that might perform well versus a video they know will perform well? And so whenever I look at it that way and look at YouTube as this like rational entity, because that's really all it is, is it's an algorithm based on statistics, is that as soon as, you know, this uh, mid-century piece has been established as the one that they want to put on the top of the page, I don't think they'll ever replace it because there's a reason that they decided it's going to be at the top of the page. It's the same way that whenever I started... Ben Ueda had completely cornered the market on concrete projects. You search DIY concrete on YouTube and the first, and like if there's 20 results on the page, 15 of them are going to be Ben's videos. Right. <laughs> and that's because YouTube knows if people are looking for content around concrete projects and they show them one of Ben's videos, they're going to stay on the platform for a while. They're going to watch multiple videos and no one is going to be offended by it. It doesn't matter if the video is one-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old. Age doesn't matter as long as it's an HD video. That's all YouTube really cares about. And so right. whenever I look at, once again, whenever I look at YouTube as this just like entity of rationality, I realize, okay, mid-century is done. 
the search results are established. I could build as many more mid-century pieces as I want, but I don't think they're going to outview any of my other ones. And so now it's just trying to figure out what it is. So now I've kind of looked for more just simple, clean, not minimal modern furniture, but just simple modern furniture. And the the struggle I found with that, though, is how do I optimize that for search? Because, you know, people are looking for maybe modern platform beds, right? But my mid-century modern platform bed is also playing into the same search category. And so this is maybe a question for you guys. Maybe you guys have some advice or some kind of ideas on this is, um, one, what is the next trend? And I think the next trend really is just simple, clean, modern furniture. Um, I'm seeing people incorporate metal in more interesting ways with simple, yeah. with simple bins and simple welds. Um, but you know, what's on the cusp and then also how do we orient search for that? Because if people, if, if the whole scheme is just clean and modern, how do we separate that from the rustic and modern or the mid-century modern or, or the things that are already dominating search? Yeah. And I just, just as we're talking, I just kind of wanted to see it for myself. So I actually just pulled up trends and it's a little bit, it gets a little bit more convoluted when you go down to DIY but I just searched rustic furniture and then I searched modern furniture and then I searched mid-century modern furniture. And I was actually a little bit surprised of what it said, because I think that's that's kind of the general. Right. So that's more of what is the overarching, uh, you know, what's the overarching feeling towards that? For, because this is for people for buying it, not for making it. Yeah. Right. So what's interesting is my and I did a five year trend. So modern furniture is the highest mm-hmm. and that because there's so much inclusive, like you're saying, how do you differentiate between mid-century modern, simple, clean, exactly. you know, you know, modern. But modern furniture is 2x um, rustic furniture, which is 2x mid-century modern furniture. Yeah. But the trends are, are slightly different. The modern furniture has been declining. The mid the rustic furniture has come up and then kind of come back down and actually the mid-century modern, the lowest one, is still trending slightly up. So I, I think that it's, you know, I think the other thing, too, is that um, I, I think we what we can't lose sight of, especially you. So you like you and, and Ben and Chris are really in tune into design. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, I mean, you guys, you know, that you talk on the podcast. That's about the, you know, the one of the main topics outside of content creation is design. Yeah. And that you guys are so into it and you have a, a very different mindset than I think, uh, especially probably a lot of our listeners and even myself for sure. And John's even higher than me. Um, I'm like, I, I suck at design. So I'm just, I'm like, I'm like <laughs> no, straight lines. Man. Yes, I can, I can do that. But, uh, but I, I think what you have to be careful of is that, you guys are looking ahead. And as you see it, that, uh, you know, is it as it at its peak? Um, you know, I think you would say yes. But at the same time, you look at how many people are still buying and making rustic furniture. Right. Is that the general like like you're saying, the DIY crowd, I think like the people who are buying new. But I think the people who are DIYing are even like two to five years behind even like the mainstream. A hundred percent. Because. You know, because and that's what I'm I'm seeing here, which I've really found interesting. Like mid-century modern is trending up. Yeah. Um, even as as DIY and palette, even though I, I thought so rustic furniture looks like it peaked around the end of 2016. So early 2017, which I think we would have thought it might have peaked, you know, two years earlier. So uh, I think that's one thing is that when we think about it from um content creator perspective, that I think all the trends are slower. 
for people making it because people who are making their first project are not going to want to be on the cutting edge. They're going to be wanting to make that stuff that they've seen on Pinterest for the last two years and have always wanted to make it. Yeah. And now they're finally making it. I think so. It, the way I, I look at it is I think, spot. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, the way no, I look at it is I think there's a, a split in, in, in those audience. I think there is the, the, the audience that is, kind of doing what I'm doing, which is looking on Pinterest and then following the right accounts on Instagram. So they're getting that intake, the kind of the similar intake that I am of the projects that will be common three to five years from now. So the same way, you know, not to go back to mid-century again, but like I was seeing a bunch of mid-century furniture on Pinterest, but it had not propagated into stores for one or other social medias for the most part. Um, and so I think kind of Google trends is, is kind of parlaying a little bit with what I was saying is that I think mid-century, you know, it's probably still going to grow for a little while longer, but I don't think it's long until it does the same thing. Rustic furniture did a couple of years ago is it's going to hit its critical peak and then it'll slowly die off and then it'll level off again with the people that are interested in it. But those that are just kind of hopping on the bandwagon, the bandwagon is getting really full, I think right now. And I think it's gonna gonna start emptying out soon. And so you have the people that are building things that are getting that intake of cool things that will be happening soon. And I think that's what I was able to leverage with mid-century is if you look at the three things between modern, rustic, and mid-century, mid-century is the lowest of those three search terms, but I would rather dominate a search term that's a little bit lower then squeak by with a couple videos in a major search term. So Absolutely. like rustic furniture or modern furniture, that would have been hard for me to get my videos into a relevant search rating at at the size that my channel was. I just didn't have that built-in audience to give my cha- my videos enough boost to get them posted high enough in the search results for that cycle to start happening. And so you know, that's where I speak to new channel. Whenever people with new channels talk to me, they're like, Hey, I'm interested in getting started. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing. And if they ask for any kind of, uh, any kind of advice, that's usually what I try and say is find an underserved part of the market and completely fill it. You know, if you're great at wood turning and nobody is wood is turning light fixtures, do five light fixtures. One of those will probably do well, which will then feed the other four. Um, If you are great at mold making, awesome. Make five different molded pieces of of either furniture or props or things like that. One of them will probably hit. And then you have four other supporting pieces of content that people can cycle and then subscribe to you from. Um, But it's just, it's the same way. uh, So yeah, let me tie this whole three part of uh, of the audience spectrum is you have the people that are building things and they're kind of quote unquote on the cutting edge. Those are the people that are going to establish your search positions. So you're not going to get crazy views, but you're going to get good uh, established search credit and good audience retention that YouTube values. From there, you have the trend, when the trend hits and when the most people are watching it. And then from there, you have, um, once the trend is established, people are still going to be searching for it for the next 10 years because, once again, you have people that are ahead of the curve and you have people that are behind the curve. And so if you can get your if you can get your projects established before the main curve hits, then when that main curve does hit, your video is the one that gets three million views. Yours is the one that gets a million views. And then 
after that happens for the next five years, while that trend is dying, but it's still getting a substantial amount of views, like you look at rustic furniture, two years ago it was dying, but it was still above mid-century, right? I would, And so if you have those established views, or if you have those established videos, they're still going to be at the top of the results for the next 10 years, and it's right. still going to get substantial search traffic. It's not going to be at its critical mass, but it's still a really, really big audience. Yeah, I think um, a lot to do with the whole trends in design and aesthetic um, where, where a lot of people miss out is on the execution aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. Most of us get caught up in our head in like, well, that's been done. This has been done. That's been done. Someone did that. Someone did this. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's, that's going to be a five to seven year window in this modern design. You know, we're just at the beginning of what I think is, you know, the, the cycle of um, modern design in the DIY space. Um, you know, modern mid-century modern furniture specifically was made with mostly high-end uh, wood types and yeah. in anything that was around um, when when the, the furniture's design came out. Um, so moving it into the DIY space is brand new, actually. And um, so you being one of the first movers in there uh, in your question, going back to it with where do you think trends are going? I think the modern aesthetic in general is going to be this next little bubble for the next five to seven years uh, yeah. probably we're probably like still on the upwards tick of that but as far as the cycle goes and in that adapting material types to the aesthetic is something that um a lot of people are just going to completely negate because they're seeing oh you know that table was done and this table was done but like imagine taking your entire channel mic and building it all out of walnut like right. that is a com- that feeds a completely different market you go mm-hmm. from the DIYer who wants to build things for themselves to the small business owner who wants to get better at building things to resell. So you're, you're feeding a different part of the segment, in my opinion. Yeah, um, and totally. So, and so with that, I would say for anybody new, um, take Mike's advice there in finding an underserved part of the market and then adapt materials or adapt trends to what you actually find cool. Um, and then also think of the viewer. Is your viewer, are you trying to hit an audience of people who are going to be building your stuff or who are going to be inspired by your stuff? Yeah. Because pretty much, you know, we're not going to no one's going to go buy the stuff that you're making and putting on YouTube um, as like a physical good unless you're like Jimmy DeResta and people will buy whatever you put out there. But in that, (laughs) you know, you're not going to go and invent an ice pick every other week. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if you're if you're looking for inspiration or whatever it might be, adapt, you know, a rustic modern table. You know, I've had a company reach out to me this week that's doing sticky back barnwood. Like that's yeah. still a thing. Like people still dig that look in their home and you got to look at the, where the trends come down from. Um, you have the industry movers in architecture and design. What they're doing is coming to market almost a year and a half to two years after they developed a uh, concept. And in that, then we're seeing it come to market in a year, year and a half later, the first movers in content creation are doing it. So those trends are already like four to five years out. We're hitting it with a more consumable, smaller level um, type and then they're all they're boom coming right back and revolving around um, absolutely and and i see that in resale with uh you know it's a show it, it's called market literally it's in south carolina it's like a huge furniture um global industrial show every year where people are bringing new things to the table and i'm sure ben's familiar with it too being in kind of in that space but like even though it feels like things might be bubbling or capped right now i i wouldn't I wouldn't try to push people away from it. I would say take what's happening and then execute on it on something that you're more familiar with, right? Like you guys yeah. are just starting to do a lot more metal projects. Uh, I've noticed on your personal Instagram, your channel, Ben, 
and everything you got going on out there. There's a whole underserved part of the market for that and you can completely see it and I get it, but you guys could have easily looked over it and go, you know, modern furniture is on the back end of where right. things are at. We're going to go and start doing more, you know, crazy industrial builds and start adding rivets and uh, <laughs> yeah. like pop welds and stuff to your, to your stuff. Well, it's not really necessary, right? You can just adapt a new material to whatever you're already doing yeah. and continue to progress and get better. And I think that's where a lot of people can be. Brad and I sit here all the time trying to have like crazy new uh, <laughs> ideas. Um, but in that, you know, seeing, oh, I could just add a metal accent to this one piece and now it pops off in a thumbnail and it's something that's easy to execute on. And now it went from just being a modern, you know, uh, select pine wood table from everything from Home Depot to an industrial one because it has metal corner gussets on it now. And, yeah. you know, you just fed a whole new marketplace. So you're adding and I, I think that's I, I think that yeah, I think you hit on something, John, the material like to me, that's the trend is putting new materials. So the whole epoxy trend. Yeah. And that's more of a, you know, I would call epoxy probably going to be a fad yeah. um, at this point. It looks like it's fading extremely fast. It's almost like, you know, the, the fidget spinner but <laughs> because there, there's so much angst around it. Yeah. But I think what that goes to is that um, I think people have this yearning for new materials and exactly what you just said, John, combining them, though. So not necessarily a new design trend. Yep. But how do you supplement something that's already out there with a new material? Because I think like people saw epoxy and like with dyes and pigments and those metallic flora, uh, iridescence and all that good stuff. And they're like, oh, my gosh, that's like I've never seen that before. I think I think there's a yearning for new combined into familiar so it's like, how do you take a familiar design and make it new and iterate? And I know you guys have talked about on the podcast about, you know, how do you change that one ingredient? Yep. How do you change it and make it so that you take something old and put a fresh view on it? And now you've just done something unique. Uh, and, and I like to me, I feel like that's what the trend is more than a grander design change uh, is just like is iteration mm -hmm. of current designs and how, yeah. do, how do you get better? Yeah, I, if you I, can. I completely agree. Yeah, if you can make a project that is 20% unique, you just you 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 moved the bar really really far. I mean, if you look at, I don't know, you we're not really redesigning the wheel, and even if you take a wheel, for example, a wheel had wooden spokes for 100 years until someone figured out a better way to do it. It's just until that the Izzy internet Swan came around <laughs> and made a publis big wheel. It's just now <laughs> that the internet is this giant collective like hive mind that ideas get absorbed and normalized so incredibly fast. Same yeah. thing with new ideas. Like you, you like if you look at epoxy and river tables, um, the trend became so big so fast, but it's starting to to not die off, but slow down almost at the same rate. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is because, like Brad, you did a great job of making yours twenty percent different the way you made it a waterfall edge, you did all of these things that like your river table has a lot more legs than someone that just made a river table dining table with an epoxy pour. And then the right. same thing with yours, John is you didn't do epoxy. You did like the classic OG Greg class and glass one. So yours will also, I think have that same kind of retention, but it's the ones it's the projects that just get lost in the shuffle um, that don't have that 20% unique takeaway that are the ones that don't live five years past the trend is dead. Yeah. Um, and I think one amazing kind of example is 
a table from Sons of Sawdust. It was my like pick of the week on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think this kind of ties back to we were just talking about reclaimed actually coming back on an upswing. And I think In a this modern is a great design, right? Exactly. And so like what you guys were saying is it's maybe some sometimes it's the technique, sometimes it is the material, but everything comes in waves. And so when you look at the the rustic furniture movement uh, between pallets and reclaimed furniture, it went crazy for like four years. And then a couple of years ago, it slowed down. And I think that's because all the easy, good ideas got taken. The things that were just on the surface, like, oh, let me do a trestle table. Ooh, mm. let me do a square frame table. Ooh, let me do this. But to where those 20% unique things became completely normal. And then people mm-hmm. slowed down on that innovation. And so that's what let the trend die. But if you look at um, Sons of Sawdust on Instagram, at Sons of Sawdust, um, it's maybe six to 10 photos deep in their library. Uh, it's a dining table that they're working on right now. It's got metal X shaped legs. It's a trestle style table, but what they're doing is mixing really modern, clean metal work with really rustic timber. So the legs, um, have the legs are square tube steel with wood that's integrated into them. Like the wood goes into the metal for this X shape in the legs. And then the trestle going between the two leg assemblies is just a giant reclaimed beam. And so what I'm thinking is, you know, we see rustic on the move again, we see modern furniture on the up. So maybe that's what the next move is, is using really rustic, really reclaimed materials, but with clean, minimal design. Um, It's the same thing. Maybe you have a really clean modern modern living room but once again i'm looking at their instagram this is why i'm thinking of it um maybe you have a really clean modern living room where everything is white you have a nice fancy you know marble coffee table but you want to throw one really rustic element into it so that it kind of ties the space and makes it makes it unique so you have you know a reclaimed coffee table or you have a reclaimed mantle over your fireplace um but whatever the 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 trend is I don't think it dies for no reason. I think it dies because it becomes normal and lacks unique creativity uh, from the people producing it. Um, and so that's that's what I think Sons of Sawdust is doing really great. I mean, their entire business is building reclaimed tables. So if anybody is interested in the longevity of reclaimed furniture, it's them. Um, so I think if there's someone to take you know notes from, they'd be a great pe- yeah. great people to do it. Yeah, and yes, yeah. Um, Brad is actually personal friends with uh, with those guys, and oh, and, awesome. I, and I've and I've talked to him too, and been fans for years, and been able to converse. And I took a lot of inspiration when I got started from what they were doing, and that's and that's kind of where I morphed into doing more industrial stuff with reclaimed metal. If you go back and look at some of my old work, so totally, you know, I, I, to, to put a cap on this part of the conversation, I think I think what you know we're we're mostly getting at here is that. Um, just because you're not the first mover on something specifically doesn't mean that you can't still do something unique or cool with it. Um, especially when it comes to content creation or design, um, being that if you add a little bit of texture or one unique element to whatever's happening, that could be the reason what you're doing pops off. You know, my, my, uh, my river table is a perfect example. There's so many of them out there, but none of them have that little finger that mine has in them. And that's like yep. that design element that people are like, what? And yeah. how'd that happen? And that's and why that makes for it. an incredibly compelling thumbnail too. 
Yes. <laughs> but in that, you know, adding's one specific small thing. I think trying to mimic what other people are doing is the easy way out in business. And a lot of us, um, you know, a lot of us leverage ourselves on execution. And that's a whole different um, conversation compared uh, to, to where we're at right now. But in that, if you're mimicking what's happening already and you're trying to, uh, you know, outdo what's already out there, you're at the mercy of what's already out there on the Internet. You know, like yep. in that being search is going to be against you, um, you know, existing longevity over time and, and, and the interaction with uh, that content is going to be against you. But if you do something small and different, that's how you can jump off. And I think I'm really excited to see where you and Ben are going to start taking the metal work that's going into your designs um, because I've been a fan of your stuff for um, for years now. And I, I love that design element. And I think it brings a whole new audience on. And I know as you're working on a new skill set. Um, so little things like that are or how you can set yourself aside and differentiate something we talk about on the show a ton. Um, yep. Brad's getting into welding too. So I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity as far as, um, excuse me, the, the execution of the craft in tr- itself, um, as well as bringing different design elements into, you know, whatever you might be comfortable with, if that's mid-century, modern, rustic, industrial, you know, wherever it might be, I could build a plywood tabletop, um, make it really cool and unique somehow and still do it in John Malecki style. Um, yep. And that would probably do well, even though you rarely see me using plywood for anything but carcass builds. So, you know, don't get discouraged by seeing such a saturated market. You know, when 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 we talk about it, as far as us content creators go, you know, we're trying to be innovative and first movers and stuff. And that's like, that's a, the mindset. But if you're trying to build a substantial channel, you know, I, I loved where you were touching on going narrow and deep and hitting an un- um, underserved part of the marketplace. And there's a lot of those out there. You know, you don't have to be a first mover. You can just be the guy that's <laughs> as Gary V does it just annoyingly flood the market with the yeah. type of content that you want to be seen. Um, and you can, you can win that way too. Totally. Totally. I love it. Well, hey, Mike, we're, uh, we actually have, uh, your, your compatriot Salamone, who's going to be waiting on us soon. But that's one right. thing we or yeah, we're about to go talk to him. Uh, and so we'll, we'll throw it down and tell him that you murdered it. And so he's going to have to <laughs> have to man up. But, uh, one thing we'd like to do and, and leave, leave the audience with is for you, if you can give the audience, you know, if you, you've sprinkled some, some awesome knowledge bombs on there, but for you starting out, mm-hmm. I always say like a younger you, but like for a younger you, that would be like 10 or something. <laughs> so, but for somebody just starting out or, you know, they're just getting into it. What would be some advice that you either wish you knew at the beginning or that you'd like to give people and, and, you know, to really help them, whether it's business, YouTube channel, whatever. One, uh, like I mentioned early on in the episode is set goals. Um, and they don't have to be concrete goals. Like notice whenever I was talking about it and I never said, I want to hit a hundred thousand subscribers by the end of the year. And if I do that, then I'll keep doing it. If I don't, I won't, because you should only be setting goals in the things that you can control. I could control how many videos I produce throughout the year. I can't control how many people click the subscribe button. And so I'm not going to let my success be gauged on whether someone does something that I can't make them do. Um, Obviously, total views, that's something that I can't control, but that's the general barometer for success on YouTube. So that's what I'm going to use. So one thing I would, so the, the main thing is just like set reasonable goals that you are in control of. And then the second one, um, I think this could go kind of across the board. I think you can do this with everything. It's just be 20% unique. Um, You know, if your website is 20% unique, it's going to be functional because you're basing it off of 
other people's websites probably, but yours is going to look a little bit better. Um, on Instagram, look at what people are doing. Look at what people are, are, are finding success with and then make it 20% unique, uh, whether that's with style, whether it's with content, whatever you're, you're doing. Um, and then with the projects themselves, you know, you don't have to be the first person to do an epoxy table, but you can be the first person to do an epoxy table with a waterfall edge. Um, you don't have to be the first person to, I don't know, um, ter- do any kind of power carving on YouTube, but you can be the first person to do some kind of egg table and be the first person to do um, kind of like, quote unquote, I hate saying like high design because it's something I made. I feel like it's buttering myself up. Um, <laughs> but like you can be the first person to do like power carving with a really high end kind of uh, gallery style project. Um, so just figure out something that you're good at, figure out something that you like, combine those two and be 20% unique. I dig it. Love it, man. I Perfect. It. Absolutely. <laughs> cool, dude. Well, yeah, appreciate you being on the show, Michael. I'm glad we finally got you on here and we're, we've trying to been opening up the interview schedule. So we're, we're going to have a lot of more interviews coming. Awesome. Like I said, we're, we're talking with Chris here soon. And so, uh, but I think the main takeaway here is that the rematch of Modern Maker versus Made for Profit. Yes. Uh, you guys are going down. Awesome. And that's, we're just, we're throwing it out right now. <laughs> we'll see about John that. And I, John and I are doubling down and we're going to take round two. All right. Well, if, if y'all take round two, then we're going to have to send it to a, a round three for a championship, uh, championship Neutral. bout. Neutral site. Neutral site. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, an empty field, middle America. So if any of our listeners have one of those, they want to, you know, we want to go, we want to go full dude perfect on it too. Yeah. I'm talking, you know, blowing stuff up. Uh, we're driving yeah. around. Mike's from know. Oklahoma, yeah. John. Like we, he's probably, he's got a whole state. We can I am use, from the center so. of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> oh, I just want to say, um, also guys, we're going to do a 100 episode event on our podcast. If you guys can make it, you should come. There's going to be more details, TBA, um, but it should be in like a month or two. And if you can make it, that would be amazing. Perfect. Nice. Well, we'll nice. have as much information um, as we can get in the show notes for this show and make sure you guys are all following us on Instagram and we'll have all of the links for Mike um, as well as their podcast on our Instagram as the show releases. So really appreciate having Absolutely. you, Mike, dude. This yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys again. I'm a huge fan of the show and I really appreciate you guys letting me... Uh, spout about my process y'all are y'all are amazing and i'd love to be on again if there's ever the opportunity awesome thanks mike have a good one brother bye guys 22 years old man i wish i had half the business sense that mike has when i was 22 or even 32 dude i love that guy's perspective yeah he is quite the insightful young dude and man does he get you fired up i love his passion for what he does Yeah, it is great. So if you guys want to hear uh, some more about Mike, make sure you head over to his channel. You can go to the show notes at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 48. We'll have links to Mike's YouTube channel as well as to the Modern Maker podcast if you want to learn more about Mike and you should. Yeah, if you also want to join the conversation with the rest of the MFP tribe, you can head on over to Facebook. We have a group there specifically for our patron tribes and for the entire Made for Profit listener base. You can find the link in our show notes at madeforprofit.com. Awesome. All right, man, let's head on over to the after show and knock this one out, brother. Let's do it. <laughs>